DJ and Life. I'm your host, DJ San Marco, along with my vaunted co-host, the amazing ones, Dr. Willoughby, the Thrillaby Woo, and Mr. Nick Cazono. How are you, my my friends? Awesome. Good, good. We hacked it so Nick and I can listen to Funkarama while everybody else was listening to Funkarama. Can I get an amen from the congregation? <laughs> thank you, Kevin McLeod, for hey. Funkarama. Thank you, Kevin <laughs> McLeod. Uh, thank you for letting us use your music. I don't remember what we paid you, but thank you. Um, Zero dollars. What are you drinking there, DJ? This is a liquor, as oh, they say in UCLA. Liquor. Got it. It's liquor and... on a on a on a Tuesday <laughs> evening. Yes, nice. or for those of you that are that are not from France or Louisiana, Lacroix. Uh, Lacroix. I'm sure Will learned some kind of French when he was at LSU getting his, his doctorate. Lacroix. No, at L- at LSU I learned all kinds of funky stuff. It was like Cajun, which is a mix of Creole, French, yeah. Southern. Uh, there's a there's a the bohemian or caribbean influence in there too creole and then yeah and then you Good stuff and then i hung out a little bit with some vietnamese dudes that were born and raised in that area so then you put in a vietnamese accent onto that oh, and wow. it gets super super funky and will will's the most exciting day on campus for will was the first time he saw another asian person he's like oh my god I miss I miss UCLA so badly. I don't I don't think I ever told you the story. I was collecting data mm-hmm. for one of the um, for one of the um, my faculty advisors. It was my first year there, and I'm having this really interesting conversation with this older adult because it was basically um, a study on balance in older adults. And he's from the area, so he's giving me super cool history and facts about the Baton Rouge area. And it's a really fun data collection. And at the end of the data collection, the guy complimented me on how well I spoke English. Oh, yes, yes. You have told me this. Yes. Because I asked <laughs> oh you on the phone. Yes, yes. And then I was like, that you was, you're not, you're not in Southern California anymore. And I was like, I hope I speak proper English because I was born and raised in Southern California. You speak but, English pretty good there, feller. I'll I tell you like, what, oh, Ch- Chinese people. Uh, just like oh jeez, oh, it's well, crazy. By contrast, tell me, as an Asian American, what's it like to go to school at UCLA? Me having just driven past the campus, what's it like going to school at UCLA, being an Asian person? Dude, it was when I was there. It was awesome. I mean, there are a lot of Asians, obviously, that go to UCLA. Um, man, it was just. I think of maybe while I was there. Or maybe, maybe while I was there, um, they had gotten rid of affirmative action for admissions, and it kind of it changed the composition a lot. But um, it's Southern California; it's a university setting, and so it's a really, really cool place to be, regardless of what you look like, kind of what your belief system was, because you're judged. You're not superficially judged at all. Um, so university, UCLA was um, ridiculously fun. I tell my students all the time who are always trying to rush to graduate and get a job, I always say, enjoy it. This is going to be the best time of your life. You're with your friends. You have 
you think you have responsibilities now, but you don't have any responsibilities right now. Nothing. In the whole yes, in the whole scheme of things. But study um, and drink beer and go to class. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Back to your question, being an Asian Mexican mm-hmm. at UC yeah. <laughs> at UCLA, dude, it was awesome. Uh, I loved it. It was. Um, can, can I follow up? Did you get exposure to some Asian cultures which previously? You had not had exposure to, like, for example, like a Burmese person, like from my, yeah. Myanmar, you know, other like cultures that you didn't experience in high school. Yeah, I got it more. I got it more intensely in undergrad. I went to a pretty diverse high school. I went to high school in um, Bishop Amont. It was in La Puente. So there was a big Filipino um, uh, student body there. Um, obviously, there's an Asian student body, a big Latino student body or Latinx mm-hmm. student body. Um, and then obviously you had your Caucasian and probably African-American were probably the, the, um, the smaller minority groups there, but I was pretty exposed, but you, when you get to UCLA, it becomes a lot more intense because the intelligence factor about culture, um, sociology goes way up, right? Because you have, you actually have academic disciplines that are specializing in this and you have kids that are, that have interests and are taking classes in it. And so what people are bringing to conversations is at a really, really high level. I would say um, probably my experiences with one of a good friend that I had that was Lebanese really exposed me to um, a broader sense of religion, especially um, the Muslim religion. Um, and I think for the most part, in general, on average, Americans have a really terrible um terrible background or knowledge of the Muslim religion, um, which is, which is really unfortunate, but no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't recommend a university setting and lifestyle for personal growth. A lot of people think about it in terms of academics and what job that you're going to get, but even greater than that, it just makes you a better person. um, If you go in there with a, with an open mind. Nick, do you have any questions for Will before we move on from this topic? No? Okay. No, I mean, I went to Kent State in Kent, Ohio, so it was predominantly Caucasian, not a whole lot of Asians. I mean, growing up in the Midwest in Ohio, the only Asians I really saw were my own family members. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, like, I, I, I always thought about, because when I moved to Southern California, I mean, to me, it was one of the most exciting things I've ever done in my life was like pulling off the I-5. Actually, we were on whatever that pay-for parkway is that's behind Irvine. I can't remember the name of that. But we pulled – you know that uh, that 133, road? 241. Yes. We, we yeah. pulled off of there into Irvine with the moving truck to move into my neighborhood when I moved there. And it was so exciting. And, and it, it was fascinating to see that many Asian people that I had access to to uh to the culture and the cuisine right there you know close to my house and and being that nick uh preceded me by like four months i was like wow this must be such an experience for nick because i you know, i trained with him in ohio i remember how white it was you know it's very slavic very uh croatian and i was like nick must be like just blown away that there are so many people that share his culture or or a similar culture yeah, it was cool to see <laughs> to see that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. I mean, I I knew moving, you know, living in 
Southern California for the time that I did that, you know, those cultures were going to be more prevalent there and everything. So yeah, it was cool. And I liked, I liked the old Asian markets, any kind of ethnic market, the Middle Eastern markets, like the Lebanese markets, the, the Mexican type markets that were there all the, I mean I went to all those places when I lived over in Southern California and everything and yeah and I yeah I worked when I worked at a Chinese restaurant in Garden Grove so Vietnamese yeah that's lots the, of Vietnamese that's so a I spot ate like that at, area Westminster the, Garden Grove yeah yeah there's a lot yeah, of like uh, some legit, cool Vietnamese like, places yeah legit places yeah yeah. I had a friend, she would take me to these Vietnamese places that were like, you know, hole in the wall places that were like amazing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. Like, so I got really exposed to that cuisine when I was there that a lot of dishes that I ate that I had no idea that were, you know, that, that I had no idea that, that I really don't have a whole lot of knowledge about. I mean, yeah, when you eat Vietnamese cuisine, you think of like pho and like banh mi sandwiches, but then I was eating like this fish dish with like turmeric on it and you had to like wrap it with these little like rice wraps and it was yeah. like a sort of skillet. I forgot mm. what it was called. And there's another one that, that was popular that was like a tomato-based broth dish that was really good. It had and probably had like that. some I mean, crab it was... in it and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm so, I'm so I'm so glad Nick got to explore his Asianness there. It, it can't it can't be un, over <laughs> it, it really it can't be overstated the the comfortable feeling to be able to see when you've been a minority to be able to see and experience people that look like you and and share a cultural background. I mean it's it's universe. Katiani's the exact same way. When I'll I just I wanted to just replay this. I just want to tell you guys this real quick, and we're gonna move to MMA, but. Um, when I moved, my last duty station was in this place called Clovis, New Mexico, which is not as nice as Clovis, California, which, oh, goodness. Say, which Will is saying Clovis, California is not that nice. Okay. Clovis, New Mexico is, is, um, it, let's just say it's, it's, it's not the garden spot of New Mexico. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it's, and we lived, uh, near the U Eastern New Mexico university. There's a one horse town outside of Clovis called Portales and, you know, when you get there, you realize there's really nothing here. There's nothing for us to do. We're going to be spending this entire tour probably in our house, you know? So so we go out walking one day, and we're walking toward the university. And, you know, the roads are not really nice. It's just – it's a kind of a dilapidated place. Here comes a Ford Escort with a Brazilian flag license plate on the front because they don't have front license plates in New Mexico. And Katiani, who usually will not go out of her way to meet people because she's shy, goes, Oi, Brasileiros! And she's waving her arms in the air. And they pulled over, and it turned out they were both, it was a guy and a girl, both Brazilian soccer coaches for the university. Nice. And they said, we have three cool. Brazilian players here. Come to the game Saturday. We're going to introduce you. And that was it. They, they were our family for the next three years was it a personalized uh -huh. license plate that said pojada no. on it no oh, okay. it wasn't it was literally just the flag <laughs> on an old ford escort so it was really funny man um nice. but i don't want to complain we had a great three years all right mma bjj in life uh nick i gotta ask you brother we just heard that kamzad Jmaev and who is going to 
I believe is going to take Leon Edwards' crown as basically the number one contender of the 170-pound division is off. Kaput. Talk to me, brother. These are the these are the times that we live in. You want fights, people, during a pandemic? Listen, this is what you get. You get you get things that just fall through. And you know, people get bummed when, oh, you know, Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades gets canceled. All right, people kind of bum, but it, you know what? It happens like a Tony Ferguson and, and then Khabib Nerda Kometoff, you know, like a high interest, not as high and not as whatever, not as exciting as maybe a matchup like that, but it's a great matchup. It's a it very was. good, exciting matchup for this, this up and coming year, you know, this year. So, and you know, yeah, why, Nick? People, because half, why is that? because half the guys, if you listen to MMA media and you're consuming MMA media, half of them are like, well, this is going to be a big test. For Chimaev, I mean, I'll tell you what, they're giving him Leon Edwards a big step up. And I would put, and even Mike Heck, who I, like I tell you, I respect a lot, said, put your money on yeah. Leon Edwards. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I think Chimaev is going to finish him in this fight. I mean, I, I don't think this fight's going to go all the way. I think Leon Edwards is the one who's the aggrieved party who will soon be the bereaved party. Um,. And and you have so you have fifth you know basically split down the middle. Obviously Dana thinks Jemayev is going to win, or he wouldn't have made the fight, <laughs> course, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's a good so, point, DJ. So Dana and Sean and all them think that he's going to run over Edwards, and then you have the other half of the M- MMA media that's saying, "Oh, John Jones, oh, he hasn't been tested yet. He hasn't been in there with somebody like Shogun." I'm like, "Are you f- are you kidding me? He's going to run over Shogun." Like a speed bump in the yeah, parking lot yeah. of Whole Foods. Are you kidding and then, me? And then crash and then get out of his car and run. <laughs> and then run and then come back and then grab a bag of dope and then run again. <laughs> so um, I don't see – I mean I don't think it's at that level. I don't think it's Shogun no, John Jones no. level. No, but no, I not. truly do yeah. believe as much as I like Leon Edwards and think he's a really good fighter – um, and a very solid all-around fighter. I think this kid Shemaev is dynamic. He's probably going to run over him uh, to some degree. Not as you know, not as big a mismatch. So uh, that context, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think the MMA media tends to err on the side of caution when it has a fighter that has a lot of hype, no matter how good they've looked, and no matter. I mean, yeah, this guy could be the next champion. He could be the next guy that really push. Usman or even, you know, take Usman's title. But there's a lot of what ifs. I mean, not to. Um, they want him to take uh, Usman's title. <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah, absolutely. Do. And I'm trying to compare him to like a Yair. Well, you know, they're not obviously not the same fighter, but Yair had a similar trajectory where he had, man, spectacular striking. You know, he's knocking out. BJ Penn, or even that, he destroyed BJ Penn, and he had that sort of flying, sort of switch kicked against uh, what's his face from Team Alpha Male. I forgot his name. He just lost Was to. It, uh, oh, you're talking about. He just, he just uh, lost Andre, to Bryce Mitchell. Feely. Yeah. Yeah. He touchy feely. He just like destroyed him. And everyone's like, oh, man. I mean, I was on board too. Like, I'm like, this guy is great and everything. But we didn't know about his ground game. And then he fights Frankie Edgar. But with Shemayev. You know his ground game's great. He's got, you know, amazing wrestling. He's got great submissions, and now he just knocked out a, a middleweight 
<laughs> in his last fight going up and right. wait. So you know he could you know he's got firepower in his, his hands, so he's got a lot of his bases covered. So it's just the uh, what can he do against a guy that he can't really put away potentially? Now, Leon, he could put away uh, Leon Edwards, but Leon Edwards is not going to just go down like a no, sack of potatoes. No, but the, you know? I, I mean, Will, uh, Will, you've seen the the level of. I'm saying there's going to be some some sort of like, you know, resistance compared to the other opponents he's faced. That's all. EJ, has resistance. Nick has Nick picked a winner for that fight yet? I we're think going he on. Jumped, I think he jumped back on, on the fence. Because <laughs> okay, we're going on two weeks here. He hasn't hey, picked man, anyone. Get off my fence, man. That's my property. Hey, hey, hey. Get off hey. my fence. I, 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 the last time we spoke about this, I, I was picking Leon Edwards based on, you know, his, his, you don't remember that? I picked Leon based okay. on the, all right, the hate you. on Leon. I just, I just felt bad, but you know, I'm, I'll go with Shamayev. Sure. Oh wait, wait, wait! You. He, you're switching. I should now. go with the favored. <laughs> I will I bet switch, you yeah. a box of cano- Italian cannolis from Water Street in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Nick had the Lakers beating but the Miami Heat in the, in the NBA it. Finals, DJ. <laughs> nice, Nick. Come on, love it, man. Nick. Please. I love it, Nick. I'm, I'm very indecisive sometimes. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Will. All right. I'm going to Will now, Nick. Will you let me transition? Go. Go for it. Thank Sorry. you. I'll sound like John Larroquette in stripes. Thank you. Um, Will, clearly the UFC believes that Chemaev is some rocket ship. I don't know if they're – I assume they're looking for a Khabib replacement unit. I'm trying to figure out what Danum's uh, twisted motivation is, and we're going to get to the fact that he's having Khabib meet him in Abu Dhabi to discuss things. We're going to get to that. We're not going to rush ahead. But do you believe? What do you believe is their motivation? Do, are they looking at him as the Khabib replacement unit? It's kind of contradictory to me because Dana White doesn't like ground fighters. He likes stand-up fighters he likes knockout knockouts from the feet oh can, so, can i tell you something he likes more than knockout fighters from the feet what's that it goes it's that it's right above your number four key if you push the shift button so I'm oh the dollar dollar yeah dollar sign yeah and, and with the muslim population <laughs> that has started paying ri- attention to mma from here all the way east to malaysia and beyond that maybe that balances it out. That's the that's the number one weighted variable in all in, in in the question, or at least in in how we should look at what are his motivations. That and you know you see it in other sports too. There's always this hot rookie or this hot up and comer, whether it be baseball and football. Like if it's a football quarterback, like you have Tua with the Dolphins, right? They want to see him succeed, so they're going to do whatever they can for him to succeed. And you have the same thing in the NBA, right? You had it with you have it with Zion. Um, Zion Williamson, same thing with baseball. And so I think it's, yeah, you Zion, know, it's just... Zion, how they restructured the NBA playoffs so that, so that <laughs> the New Orleans, uh, yeah. Pelicans would be able okay, we're going to go to the eighth seed is going to be allowed in the bubble so yeah. that they, so that the Pelicans will have a shot and then Zion can get knocked out in the first round. Yeah. But that's, you know, and give them, give them, give them credit for being able to recognize the talent and being able to forecast it a little bit. Like you mentioned it earlier with um, the traditional MMA media, they're always going to 
want some data points and they always tend to go by experience um, type of thing. Whereas they're forecasting a little bit, just like you do when you do draft, when you have draft picks or you're picking personnel for your team or whatever that may be, making big investments. Um, they're making a big investment and they're forecasting based on what they've seen in this skill set and projecting on. So you got to give them credit for that. And the, in my opinion, the dude's got, there's a blueprint for being successful in the UFC. Um, and we've talked about this, what this blueprint is, but you drag dudes to the ground, don't let them up. You're going to win. But you have all these dudes that are trying to turn into boxers. That's just meat for those guys that have figured out the blueprint. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kamzat's going to be, Kamzat's one of them, right? And then you're going to see Islam do the same thing in the 155s, right? He's going to drag people down. They're not going to be able to get up and he's just going to dominate. Um, and we'll see how, we'll see how UFC fighters evolve or switch in other sports like the NFL, very copycat oriented. They see something that's successful and they'll copy it right away. Um, we'll see if that happens with uh, UFC or if the pool to be, um, to knock people out with your feet or with your hands while standing up, if, if that's a bigger draw than dominating and winning. It's interesting because, yeah, you have a good point. And like, I would say eight years, seven, eight years ago, the, you, you, you kind of saw what's happening right now with these dominant wrestlers. Instead, in seven, eight years ago, it was, it was the, you know, the All-Americans, the Division One national champions that were sort of dominating the MMA scene. And then you had the sort of these Brazilians or strikers that were able to sort of sprawl and not get taken down like the Novo Unial sort of roster of guys that were able like a, like a Hen and Brow. And obviously Aldo was the one that had, you know, this great takedown defense. So you had these guys that had really good striking and then they were able to just not get taken down by these all American wrestlers and they started to win again. So I don't know if that will happen now, but it's like these Dagestani sort of um, sort of Muslim uh, athletes, Russian type of athletes that are now dominating the, the takedown game in today's MMA landscape, which is very specialized. I think it's hard to maybe develop that if you didn't kind of grow up in it. Absolutely. So, but it's, yeah, it's difficult because it's not just wrestling. It's judo and yeah, it's, it's sambo. It's like all Sambo together and, and it's wrestling. Yeah. And so they're coming in with these skill sets, but dude, you gotta. And, and we're just... battling something else, Will. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's a cultural thing. We've seen guys who have in their mind, I wanna knock people out. They get that feeling, yeah. they hit somebody, somebody's eyes roll back in their head, they fall down. And unless you've done it, which I've never knocked anybody out, I assume you two have never knocked anybody out. I imagine it must be some sort of hypersexual, euphoric, great feeling that they're like, I want to feel that again. Where I hit somebody, I drop them and they go to sleep. And it must be so intoxicating that people who either have wrestled and are not only good but great at it, or people who are average to below average and know they need it, still don't develop it and use it. It, when I see, when I, when I hear about fighters, they'll fight, you know, these, these, what I call these blueprint fighters, right? These Sambo wrestling judo guys that are just going to drag and maul you on the ground. And I hear their opponents saying, oh yeah, you know, I brought a rest, I brought a I brought collegiate champ, world champion, gold medal, whatever medal, Olympic medal, medalist wrestler in to train me. I'm like, 
good luck with that, man. You have a training camp you where you're going with weeks. a wrestler. Yeah, it's like that dude ha- is bringing in a really, really good wrench, right? It's the best wrench in the world. <laughs> and he knows how to use it. But you're fighting against dudes that have good wrenches, but they also have really good hammers and really power good tools, screwdrivers yeah. and power Impact tools. Wrench. <laughs> yeah, and you just trained on how to def- you know yeah. how to use a wrencher. It's like it's it's pretty hilarious. But the w- the thing with these blueprint fighters is that you don't hear them preparing and saying, "Oh, I'm preparing because so and so is really good at stand up, so I'm I'm infusing the or I'm making the primary the primary component of my camp on how to defend his kick or his strikes." You don't hear them saying that. No. Right? But you hear the guys that are fighting these blueprint fighters saying, "Oh, a majority of my camp I'm defending the takedown. So just right there, they've already won because you're forced to do something in the camp that you're not, you're not the best at. Yeah. You have to develop it. And if you are somebody like a leg kicker and you say, I'm not going to kick because I'm going to get taken down. Well, you just made that person's game plan because they're scared of your kick. If you're somebody like Edson Barbosa. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about this but I want to just look at a map real quick and look at what the motivation of the UFC might be to want to bring these in based on the kind of numbers of fandom they say Khabib has. Looking I'm starting at Mongolia, right? Just north of China. When you go all the way north, there's a whole bunch of uh obviously in the uh uh the Caucasus, you have where Khabib's from in Russia. Then if you go to the west, you have Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Then you go to Myanmar. Uh, Indonesia is is right almost entirely Muslim, right, Will? Then you go west from there, and you're in the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Yemen, you know, the Sudan. So all the they have a lot of these people who are now fans of MMA and are buying – pay-per-view because of Khabib uh, and the response Easy. he's gotten. It's just he has a religious component to his fandom that Conor McGregor doesn't have every Catholic just because he's from the the Catholic part of Ireland. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Khabib has the entire Muslim world, which is, you know, a billion strong. I mean, it's it's crazy. So that's where I think the motivation is for Chamaya because he shares a similar cultural background. Relative to what you're saying now, where we're talking about fighters adding or not adding wrestling, and I want to say this. This is just my opinion, and I'm not an MMA fight coach or anything like that. If I was trying to teach somebody who didn't wrestle how to wrestle for MMA, I would say when you're not in camp, you need to go and get with a, a high school or a collegiate wrestling program and religiously show up for those sessions at, you know, assuming the coaches will allow you. And usually there's always a coach that'll let guys or girls, MMA fighters come in and say, I am going to learn how to shoot a single and I'm going to put on my knee pads and my wrestling shoes and shoot, do exactly what they do. Single, double, sit out, single, double, sit out, chicken wing, all these different positions. And you go through it. You're building a house. You start at the foundation. You don't do like Novunyao and go, 
oh, just get on the fence and sit here and defend the double leg by spreading your legs and think that's going to make you a wrestler. These idiots were, uh, Pedneras and, and Aldo had told him, you should fight Khabib. You should challenge Khabib. I'm like, are you kidding? Do you want to see this guy get embarrassed? You're going to do like Max Holloway's coach? You guys are so lucky that you didn't get Khabib and that you didn't piss him off because he wouldn't just beat you. He's going to embarrass you because you're not going to be able to get up. And that's if he doesn't kimori you and break your shoulder off. You had no business being in there with Khabib or challenging. And I'm not saying, but you're a 145 pounder. You're saying you want to go up and fight this guy because you have good takedown defense? Are you ridiculous? You think you're going to stop him by spreading your two, your legs against the cage? Like everybody hasn't tried that? I mean, if you want to learn to do this, go to a wrestling program with, and and go there and say, I want to learn the fundamentals of wrestling from the ground up. Don't show me how to defend a takedown. That's not what they do. They show you the entire system. I mean, for me, it was like, 36 years ago, so I don't remember it, but you go to show up at wrestling practice and learn the fundamentals of wrestling. I mean, I've heard stories like that where MMA fighters have gone to local high school high schools and they've, yes. they've joined the team. And I know Benil Daryush, his, I mean, he, I think he went to a, I think it was an outreach he yeah, they were going to of, they were going to church boys. Church boys, church yeah, boys. yeah. A lot of a lot of boys. a lot of BJJ guys were. Uh, Buchecha yeah. was. Okay. Um, so a lot of the top Gracie Baja guys, yeah, Dos Anjos. But what I'm saying is, whatever it is, you have to go and find a program and go there religiously and learn from the ground up. Don't go there and say, "I want to learn how to defend X, Y, and Z." You have to learn to wrestle, and in that you will learn how to defend takedowns. So the way that the Qureshi kids have learned it, they didn't. Ju- they come off the jiu-jitsu mat and go, oh, just show me how to do this. No, now they know how to take people down and they know how to sprawl and defend people. And that's that's the name of the game. That's how you go if you're going to take on some. And that's what guys like Leon, Ed- you know, Leon Edwards is, is a, a good wrestler for a British guy. Then there's several, there's several of those guys that are good at wrestling. Yeah. You just saw Paul Craig taking down Showdown Shogun, right? I mean, clearly he was ready to time his shot. He had a nice shot. He was able to lift lift him up on the double, and sometimes he turned the corner, and other times he took his legs out from just elevated his hips and took his legs out from under. Him. He made it look. Yeah, I mean, Masvidal is another example too, where he he really developed his wrestling game throughout his whole his, his whole career. I mean, just that ATT being friends with uh, Yo Romero and everything, and and even, you know, when him and Kobe were, you know, buddies, or whatever, I'm sure Kobe, there was sessions with Kobe just running. <laughs> Kobe he's, just out wrestling. I'm sure he picked up a thing or two from all those he's sessions. Good. He, he's just for George. And this is, I mean, let this stand. If he fights Kobe again and if he fights Usman again, he's not going to win because his wrestling is good enough to out wrestle Nathan Diaz or uh, guys that aren't wrestlers, but but not to the level where you're going to. And, and let's face it. Anybody who's wrestling guys like Khabib, you're not going to stop his takedown. Nope. You can get not good with enough just to wrestling. Do, 
you, you you can do well enough like Connor did to stop some. And then I heard his coach was on Owen Roddy was on yesterday with uh, a Euro Bash. It was um, help me out, Pizza Carol, and those guys were the European guys. And he was saying that he had a lot of problems. He had a lot of issues in that camp. I have I have no idea the percentage if that's a hundred percent bullshit, fifty percent true. I have no idea. But let's just assume that he did he did pretty well at stopping. Khabib's takedowns, but it's you're not going to be able to do that for five rounds. I think the the scale of doing pretty well is slides very easily. Well, he stopped uh, to to give an example. He stopped okay. more takedowns than Justin Gaethje did. He stopped more than and who who wrestled in college. Mm. He did better. Connor did better than than Justin. Okay, is that fair, but- Nick? Yeah, no, it's fair. And then I think people overlook Conor McGregor's jiu-jitsu as well. You know, okay, he got submitted by Nate Diaz, but Nate Diaz is great on the ground. But Conor is a solid jiu-jitsu practitioner on the ground. Like, he's, he's really solid. good. Yeah. So, I, met I, somebody that... in old... I met someone in Ohio. I don't know if you remember Martin. They used to come to Ohio and train yeah, with Yeah, yeah, the Irish guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Martin, uh, Martin trained with Conor. Uh, Martin uh, grappled against Conor. So Okay. Yeah. What do you say about that? No, he you know, said he's very good. He's, you know, he's like you guys say well. his jujitsu is really good, and I'll look at two fighters that both fought Khabib. Right, one is Connor, and obviously we know how that went. It didn't go really well for Connor. And then you look at the RDA fight when RDA fought Khabib. Yeah, and that goes the distance, and that was a really good demonstration of the. De- of defensive jujitsu right there or using jujitsu to be oh, able yeah. to get off the mat or, yeah. or survive, survive what Khabib does. And so when like, you know, I always hear that like his wrestling Connor's wrestling defenses is good or his jujitsu is good, but where is there evidence of that in the, in the cage? Well, he had a really good, uh, his fight against Chad Mendes was a good example of it. His wrestling wasn't really that great. He got tanked down a lot, but he had a, an amazing um, guillotine escape. Well, I, the, Ch- the Chad Mendes fight, I'm going to put a little asterisk on that because I thought Chad Mendes did a good job early on, but then that was, Mendes fought off of short notice off that fight, right? Yeah. Like well, he Connor got super, had, he got yeah, really yeah. tired like in the second round or something was, like that. He wasn't full camp Mendes. Yeah, creature, full I mean, I, you just like, look at yeah. it and like, all right, the dude's like, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, he didn't have a full. He looked a little soft. Out. He looked Mendes, like he was getting tired. I just want to chime in. Mendez was out hunting when he got the call for that fight. I think he had eight yeah. or not. I think it was nine days total, maybe eight days of preparation for that fight. So you always say like people will say it, but it only counts. It doesn't count. It doesn't count when you're training. Right. It only counts for those guys when you're in the cage. Yeah, absolutely. What are you referring to? I'm just referring to people saying that Connor's wrestling is really good or his jujitsu is really good. And I go, okay, let's just compare it then. Look at Connor against Khabib and look at RDA against Khabib. RDA did a fast, fantastic job jujitsu wise against Khabib. Connor, well, we know what what happened. We don't know what happened to Connor. And so, like, when they talk about, his jujitsu or wrestling is good, then they're just talking about what's going on in training. But no, we don't, I, no, we don't I, evaluate people on that. No, I, I actually, I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about and what I think Nick was talking about was he did he did better at defending takedowns than Justin Gaethje did. And you have to and look Justin at Justin was a collegiate wrestler. You have to look at isolated incidences in the fight. Like, okay, so we lost against he lost against um Khabib, but he had he he did defend some takedowns. He, his, I think his defensive jujitsu kind of saved him in a couple of rounds, and then I think he gasped and whatever. He eventually got submitted, but he had a really nice sweep against Nate Diaz. I think he's either the first fight where he got they might have took him down, and he he literally swept um, Nate Diaz and got on top. So I mean, he has instances where he does. You, you, yeah. you do see his jujitsu and his his gator escape that he used against uh chad mendes and chad mendes once that guillotine was beautiful i was like wow so i mean that's his jujitsu on display right there so he has instances where you could yeah. see you know his jujitsu being implemented this is whatever we, wrestling being implemented and being like hey it's actually pretty good better than what people perceive it to be overall. i i have to agree with my brother kazono san <laughs> um the thing is, Will, is when we don't like a guy, we want to diminish things that he does. So, like, people would accuse me of wanting to diminish John Jones. But I'm on record as saying, if he doesn't make mistake X, Y, or Z, he's the greatest fighter. You know, with drugs, he's the greatest fighter ever. The guy's the most amazing thing I've seen in MMA all around. Like, even Khabib can't do on his feet what John has done. Uh, but wrestling-wise, John has had some moments where he's absolutely obliterated people. So, But the fact that he's used drugs and X, Y, and Z, you know, and hasn't really exploited his talent to the uh, the, the uh, fullest extent that Khabib has, then, you know, we can make some marks. So I have to be fair. And there's another guy. I have a friend named Larry Pepe, a uh, you know, brilliant analyst, uh, former attorney. Uh, who's in the health uh, industry now, uh, sells supplements and things. Uh, and Larry, uh, yeah, he used to be in a law firm in, in uh, L.A. Larry uh, hates Connor. So when you say anything about, try to say something positive about Connor, he loses his mind. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? But we got to be fair. You know, I got to be fair. He's and I a, get, yeah. Please, I get your ahead. point, Will. Though it's like, yeah, if if his wrestling was that great, then he, sh you know, he it's should not. Have used it to it's not win that the great. fight. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's not that great. No, we're saying for a guy who didn't wrestle, he's very good. He did better than Justin Gaethje did, and he did better than Dustin Poirier, who has the the largest, hugest dearth of training partners to train with for somebody like Khabib. And still got, you know, abused in the fight. And Justin Gaethje, who went at length to tell us how he, how well he did scrimmaging Jordan Burroughs. Uh, and, Khabib, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And he looked, he was terrible. I mean, Khabib abs obliterated him. So Well, that's the fault right there. It's uh, the intent of the preparation was good, but the execution of the preparation was poor if you're bringing in jordan burroughs well you no, you 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 covered it no not that he's bringing jordan burroughs he was talking about that when he wrestled in college i think he uh. did some scrimmages that he said uh jordan burroughs had trouble taking him down you actually covered this in a prior podcast when you said if 
this guy has been wrestling for seven years or however many years he is, and he's never wrestled. And now all of a sudden, he's going to become a wrestler again for this one fight. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And that's basically what it was. That's what he tried to do. Khabib has a totally different style than what I I applaud that Kamaru Usman left the camp in Florida and went out there to Colorado to to take advantage of that training. That's going to that's going to bode very well for him in, in his next fight, the fact that he's training out there. But if uh, if Justin thought that just doing that for one fight when he's been saying I'm going to stand up I'm going to knock people out. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to knock people out. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to knock people out. I'm going to leg kick. I'm going to knock people out. And now (laughs) he's going, well, you know what? I was a great wrestler in college. You should have seen me. You should have seen me against Jordan Burroughs. Yeah. I think his other strategy, too, was he didn't – he was going to not be forced against the cage. And it's just like, have fun with that. Right. So there's a – That's right, yeah. We spoke a little bit about this. I don't know if it was via, te- oh no, it was via phone call. And that style, pressing people against the cage, bring them to the ground, there's an inherent advantage in that, right? But the physical, physical laws of the earth, there's an inherent advantage of that. As human beings, and this is a theoretical framework that applies in a, a not only for human beings, but organisms that live on this earth we're always seeking greater stability right so greater stability could mean energy conservation that's why you walk at the pace that you walk and then you run at the pace that you run or stability from um a a perturbation or something that's trying to knock you off and so you all so the cage the cage is going to be you're going to be more stable because where are you the most stable? Where you're the most stable when you're laying on the ground, right? And so if we're, if we as humans are seeking the most stable state, it only goes to show you that you're going to be against the cage at some point in time, right? Because you're running backwards. You're going to run into um, it. And you're in the likelihood of you being on the ground is going to be high because it's a more stable state than being on your feet. Right. So if you look at it from the, the, this type of this type of uh, approach, it's a strategic advantage. Right. You can look at it as a strategic advantage and it's an it's going to be inevitable for people that are trying to prevent that. They're trying to prevent. They're trying to prevent a state that's less stable. And that's tough to do if we're agreeing that we all have to operate of the natural laws of this planet that we live on. I love having a doctor on the show. I I think you need to back up, though, because Nick doesn't understand what a theoretical framework is. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Nick. (laughs) That's why I'm still in school, right? (laughs) Learning all those concepts. The doctor (laughs) of motor control and learning, at Dr. Will Wu on Twitter. Give it up. Go ahead, Nick. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. And then, yeah, figuratively speaking, yeah, uh, having a more stable sort of structure, like it's the cage or very be on the ground, you know, is what sometimes we sort of thrive for in, in combat sports. But on the flip side, sometimes a striker like Israel Asanya, maybe his stability could be the distance and not being against these sort of structures that might prevent him from sort of 
his movement and everything. So I think, I think it goes both ways. So, I mean, I think a lot of successful strikers, especially with like a length, you know, the reach that Israel Adesanya has, his success has been still that stability, but in a different way, which is his stability would be, I think, his space and his, his, his range management. And even like when that sort of space gets sort of not cut off, but sort of taken, he's framing, his hips are out, you know, and then he's kind of circling around and then disengaging and then establishing that. This is space again. This is the key point. And I think this is, this would be relevant for coaches who are trying to develop and strategize for fighters that are growing up. You have a young fighter and you, as a coach, you say, what, what direction that do we want to take in terms of our training? Right. You'll have some that are going to be more grappling heavy and then some that are going to be more striking heavy and then some that are going to try to do everything all together. Well, they'll be they'll have a good skill set all around, but they won't be really elite in any specific one. Right. And so as a coach, as a team, you have to make these decisions. Right. If you're training and developing someone. And so you, I'm glad that you bring up Izzy because it's a really good example. Izzy has a good skill set to be able to resist what in, in, my, in my world we call perturbations. A perturbation is something that's going to knock you off of your stable state, right? Mm-hmm. So okay. if I'm a really low level example of that is if we're standing there and I just nudge you, right? You're going to have some physical capabilities to overcome that perturbation or that nudge, and you're going to stay on your feet. So Izzy has really high levels of being able to stay on his feet, whether it be sprawling, whether it be distance control, whether it be how he's striking to keep people away from him, but that he's more stable on the ground. So he, yeah, what yeah. he's doing is just resisting those yeah. moments of those instability yeah. with all those different kind of martial arts strategies to get him on the ground, but he's able to basically overcome those perturbations, right? Or those moments of instability. But what he wants to do as a human is to be more stable. So he's resisting that. So the next level of stability or even greater level stability is for him to be on the ground or against the cage. And so I, I just think about that from like, if you think about in, in what I do in sports science, I talk with all these coaching, all these practitioners, and it's always about development. And even as MMA coaches, when you have a younger fighter, you always want to, you always have the question as a practitioner, what am I going to do? What angle am I going to take? Um, and that's, and I think it's a, it's a very relevant factor to take into account just because we all have to obey the laws of the earth and it's inevitable. We can't get around them. One thing um, I was going to say that I think has prevented people to really embrace wrestling and grappling as it relates to MMA is a certain thing I'll call the, the Bisping archetype. And I think there are certain guys like Bisping, and if you ever hear him talk about fighters, like on his podcast, which is called Believe You Me, he does a podcast with Luis Gomez, a comedian who actually had an MMA fight himself last year. Uh, both of them, they're very funny. It's a very, very good podcast, and Bisping is, is a natural. But to a lot of these guys, 
when we talk about what is an MMA fight, to, to Bisping and people that are like Bisping, an MMA fight is us standing on our feet. I'm going to bite down on my mouth guard. We're going to trade punches and we're going to see who wins. A fight is not something that occurs on the ground with jiu-jitsu and grappling. That's not fighting to those guys. Fighting to them is, I'm going to knock, you know, him and Henderson, the Diaz brothers, on and on and on. Do you guys, can you feel me on that, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think his mindset is is geared towards that approach. But he does, I wouldn't, I mean, yeah. I mean, When you hear him talk about his favorite fighters and his favorite fights, it is never a guy who goes and works people on the ground. Bisping is the type of guy he can't say it to you, and he's not the only one. I can think of oh, a fighter sure. I know a bunch of guys. Yeah. who probably listens to this podcast, um, and I'm not going to say any more about him, but to him, he looks down on wrestling, and and a fight is standing up and hitting the other guy. That's what they look at as fighting. Even Despite the fact that, as Will said, you have a cage around here, you have these perturbations, and if you get a guy who's good enough at it, you can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know? Like, there's no ropes to bounce of. There's no Yama. I don't know if you guys remember Yama pit fighting. You can run off the really... side of the Yama. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can't really, when you have somebody like, uh, like uh, you know, we, we've talked about Juan Espina. We talked about Andrew Sanchez. We talked about Chad when he was in his heyday. Um We've talked about Islam. We talked about Khabib. You can't escape those guys, and and as much you know, Justin tried to do the right thing. He tried to circle, but now I'm kind of thinking, and we're getting deep, guys. We're getting deep on this, but I think it's an interesting topic. I wonder what happens. Maybe if you if you do connect with Khabib in the middle of the cage, and you get into more of a Greco situation. Do you have a better chance there? Because I haven't seen any of the other, the other parts uh, of it, uh, of uh, defensive wrestling work. When he gets you against the cage, it's just you know you can just hack your watch. Yeah, it's interesting. I think his best work is against the cage, and I think he gets people there. You know, obviously intentional, intentionally for him to do his best work. And they're and backing the up. Middle, they're backing up. Yeah, they're up. backing up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's. Then his game plan was just, I'm just going to come forward. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really put some pressure on him. And I think his camp was smart. They're like, they're not going to, I don't think Justin Gagey was going to really anticipate, you know, that pressure that could be really put on him on the feet, just coming forward and, and, and just that forward pressure and just throwing his strikes and everything. I think it kind of threw him off. But yeah, I mean, having them meet in the middle and then having more of a clinch battle in the middle, maybe yeah, maybe more of a Greco-Roman kind of sort of clash. I mean, that that'd be interesting to see what kind of tricks um, he has in that realm in, in that sort of space. But him, yeah, him, him seeming to go to the single as his, I don't know, want to call it his primary, but maybe as his first way of getting people down is really, really strategically advantageous for him even if even if it is regarding middle of the ring because if he has a single on you 
unstable or stable? Unstable. unstable, right? What are you what are you seeking for? What are you looking for? Stability. Per, You're yeah. looking for stability through um, another base of support, whether it be your hands or your leg, if you can get it free. But if you don't have that, you're looking for a support surface. And so what is the other support the surface? But the, the cage. cage. <laughs> Correct. So do you see Dr. what I'm saying here? Will. Woo. Do you see what I'm do you do you see what I'm saying here? Yep. He's I mean, I don't like they're obviously not talking about this. They like the way that we are. But they figured it out in terms of yeah, action it's, reaction. It's just natural, right? It's what yeah. you're talking about. It's just Yeah. And then when he has you on the cage, you're screwed, right? And where a lot of people are using the cage to escape takedowns or they're using the cage to get up, he's using the cage to his to advantage. He wants you there. Yes. You're, you're trying to avoid that perturbation by Correct. using the cage and you've just like went like right in the smack in the middle of his spider web. That's what I'm talking about, this blueprint. In my opinion, the days of a double in the center of the ring – Maybe for strategic reasons because you're trying to set something up. But if you're trying to take someone down, right? And we're talking about as MMA is evolving. If you're trying to take someone down and you're trying to shoot a double in the center of the ring, that's not, a, that's, that's, that's not the most effective way to do it, right? Because when they're shooting a double, you're not lifting a base of support, right? It's probably yeah. right now, right? Everybody's wrestling right now. It's probably one of the most easiest takedowns to defend. Well, the right knees now. too. You have... You have the knee, the knee aspect that you have to worry about when you shoot. Though, not that most people have the timing, but they don't have that problem against the cage. You know, Khabib, once he gets you against the cage, now he doesn't worry about because you can't even, you can't draw your leg back to fire that knee off. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you know, that's so. that's what I call the blueprint. Like these guys, they they figured it out, and what they're just gonna feast. Because most of the MMA fighters, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get knockouts. They're trying to get with their hands, with their legs, whatever it is. And it's yep. just, it's it's a, it's a modern day gold rush for those guys. It's all there for the taking. And you'll see these guys will these these guys are dom these guys will dominate because Khabib and even like you said, Dana White is opening the door for for financial reasons, right? So you're yeah. going to see all these dudes come in and they're just going to dominate it. Yeah, and it's up to the and they are yeah. seeing him right now. We're seeing all these. Yeah. And it's, Russian, what, what they're going to try to do. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're, we're, yeah. We're just seeing all these Russian sort of Dagestani Muslim you know, Muslim yep. type fighters that are popping up and they're all <laughs> scary, scary people. I, I wouldn't be surprised. He's going to try to keep Chimaev and Islam apart. I mean, I think that's clear because he could have easily set that fight up now instead of Leon, right? But those, if those dudes were smart, they'd get it together and be like, hey, you just dominate this division. I'll dominate my division. People will talk about it for – the people will create the hype for us, right? You're 15 and 0. I'm 15 or 16 and 1 or whatever it may be. People will talk about it, but we'll just do our thing. We'll wreck house, and then they'll just – Gen yes, the media will but, just automatically be generated. But what but what I'm saying is Dana is able to compel and and by the way, we still have to talk about Yair Rodriguez, who Dana uh, tipped us off, is going to announce something that he is right now suspended or out of the UFC for some reason. Uh, but we're gonna we'll get to that. 
But I'm saying Dana has a way of compelling. Do you know how he – Will, are you aware of how he compelled Leon Edwards to fight Chimaev? Oh, yeah. I think you talked about the, this last week, right? You basically said, we just won't rank you anymore. Yeah, exactly. He, we had the number th- – what was he, number two or number – he might have been the like number, number three, two, uh, number number three, three behind Colby he, or something. Yeah, he's probably And he goes, I'm not going to fight this guy Chimaev. He's not even ranked. He hasn't even fought anybody ranked yet. I'm not going to fight him. And Dana said, oh, okay, well, then this week when the ranking comes out, we'll move you at it so you won't be ranked, and then you can fight him. So he, you know, in essence, this guy who's marketing himself to sponsors over there in Manchester and says, oh, I'm the number three ranked welterweight in the world. And then Dana just pulled that out from under him. And now sponsors can't say, we're being represented by the number three ranked welterweight in the world. But he's probably like, okay, this guy has no Q rating. He's a black guy from Manchester, so who cares about him? We'll have Chemaev, who's uh, you know probably uh, you know Muslim. He represents the European community, the Muslim community, the, the his community in the Caucasus, um, like uh, Dagestan, and it's a perfect guy. We'll get him since Khabib's leaving. We'll get him, uh, and that he compelled that fight, and that's why he's not going to compel him to fight Islam. Because why not have two guys that can draw in that audience? You know? Because it's not Islam even more. There's, there's other guys. Oh, no, wait. Islam These are the two guys right now, but there's... Islam's 155, but like... Yeah, but there's he, all these other guys that are popping up, too, from that same sort of region. Yeah. As well. So, Saeed. I mean, both of these are the two... Yeah, there's Saeed. There's... I yeah. mean, there's Zabit as well. Zabit. Zabit. Zabit uh, is, you know, he's got whatever. Some cardio issues, but... There's a couple other guys too that are like, yeah. Dana, where are these guys coming from? That, They're just he's trying to make out. that fight with Yair, and and now, yeah, I was like, okay, so let's get into the story. So uh, I don't know if it was Damon Martin. A, a number of people put this out on Twitter. Somebody because I've been wanting to see this Yair, and I'll ask Will what he thinks. I've been wanting to see Yair this amazing striker against another amazing striker who also has grappling name Zabit Magomed Sharipov who trains out of New Jersey with Frankie Edgar's team with uh, Mark Henry and all those guys and they're both very tall very long amazing striking skills I mean his his striking is way ahead of Khabib or Islam or any of those guys and Dana tried it has tried to make that fight well first um, Zabit called him out on Twitter after one of his fights and he responds to Zabit and said, yeah, he goes, I'm busy. I'll see you sometime, my friend. It's not going to be now, but we'll fight later on down the line. So one guy, Zabit has like 13 <laughs> fights. Yair has 11 fights and he's trying to matchmake. Like, dude, are you serious? You're telling him you're not ready for him? Like the UFC is not interested in people that are telling him I'm not ready for this guy when and there's like is, a two fight. This difference. is after, yeah, this is after he got, um, yeah, you got smashed by Frank Yeager. So I don't know. No, maybe his, his, I don't know. His, yeah, I it don't, was. It no, was. it wasn't. It was when no. they first, when they first, when they that. first, it you sure? That. Yeah. It was before it was, that? Yes. Okay. Cause they it's, tried to make it after he lost to Frank. They tried to make like, it five times. And all of a sudden, they'll be coming yeah, close to the fight, and you're up. Oh, I'm injured. I can't fight. 
It's telling because he's he's saying this on social media, right? Is that right? Yeah, it was on Twitter. So they were going when yeah, when you're having that exchange, you usually have a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be like back and forth, rapid fire right away. So you usually have a little bit of time to say, how can I come up with a strategic answer to get at your point, DJ? Right to say, knowing what the UFC how they think about what they want their fighters to think. They don't want them to back away. They want them to be ready at yeah, any time man, on their calling, right? I'm not- and so it's really telling. He knows. I mean, Zabi- what weight class is Zabit? They're is both, though, they were 135. Or, I, I, or they're 45. 45. They're both 45. 45. Yeah. I look yeah. at Zabit fight and I'm like, I don't know where he's better. If he's better on the feet or on the ground. That's how good that dude is. He's amazing. Yeah, but, he's good everywhere. But Nick said he has cardio issues, so th- so there is a, there is an avenue for for him there. But I'm saying is if you're a guy who has highlight reel KOs, like you're one of the best strikers, you can, that would be like Izzy saying, ah, you know that guy's. I'm not going to fight that. You can't do that. First of all, you're not even the champ. You're not the champion. You you are an eleven win fighter. You can't say, "Oh, I'm not ready for." That's not what Dana White and and I'll def. I mean, I can't stand Dana, um, but that's real. I mean, he's not in. You're not in the right business to, if you're going to say, "I don't want that guy." You are. That would be like Poirier saying, "Oh, I don't want to fight Khabib." No, nah, I mean, totally. guys, nah. The guy, Even if you, you know what, Khabib, I'm not ready for you. I'll see you down the line. Even All if those you guys are like, I want Khabib. Yeah. Even if you don't want the fight, you say you want, you the, want fight. the fight. Yeah. Yeah. So they you just yeah. say you want it. So basically they said, so he said his management said, well, Dana, we're not going to fight um, uh, Zabit yet. And they said, oh, really? Okay. You're cut. So they so cut they- him and then they brought him back. Like it was like within a few weeks. I mean, it was like. Two weeks later, they brought him so, back like a couple, couple months. It was like a couple months. It was longer than that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. They I don't, cut him. Like, yeah, it look was, at Nick. Yeah, Nick was... is attacking me again, Will. Anyway, but <laughs> I, I, I don't remember, and quite frankly, neither does Nick because it was so long ago. But it was in a short period of time. They it was. Up, it they, was. They but it was. They brought him back. Yeah. So they tried to they make did. the fight again, and he got hurt. They made the fight again. He got hurt. Now we get to now. They're scheduled. To, they're scheduled to fight again, and all of a sudden, Dana says something happened with Yair. We haven't released it yet. We'll let him tell it. I think that Zabit was so far in this guy's head because they had a Twitter exchange where he made some sexual innuendos, like you're gonna, you know, mess with my genitalia. He said something like that to Zabit. You'll wait on me and and uh, rest on my genitalia, something like that. And now. They're indicating that maybe he popped for PEDs. He didn't say that. He said we haven't released it yet. But if they said he's not going to be fighting for a while, and what else could it be? This it was out of the UFC's control, or it was like not part of the like the issue wasn't part of the UFC or something. So and it's not. Yeah, there's it isn't. Well, like whatever. Yeah, if that if that's the case, then it isn't. So yeah, a lot of fans and media people have come to that conclusion that it is PED related if you're letting that dude get so far in your head and you are so talented i mean he trained in albuquerque so coach latrell and those guys got to see yair um he's such an amazing talent you're gonna let that guy get so far in your head 
that you would drop PEDs to try to to give you an advantage is just so ludicrous for a guy who the sky's the limit. He was going to deliver Mexico. He was going to he was going to be oh, yeah. the guy that was going to deliver Mexico to the UFC. I mean, I think he his brand kind of hurt with the eye poke situation with Jeremy Stevens. I don't know if you remember that. Where yeah. Yeah. He lost some stock in that with from a lot of fans, myself included. Yeah. Where it was just like he just didn't he didn't he didn't, he didn't play that out. himself well. No. No, he didn't. He did I mean, it was just it was a bad look for him. And then you know he won the fight, the rematch, and he won, and it was fine. But I think the damage was done to his reputation partly from that. I mean, he obviously still has fans. He's obviously still a great fighter, but he hasn't fought. It's like, dude, you have to get in there. Yeah. It's been a. It's been probably been over a year. His and last Jeremy, fight was Stevens Jeremy Stevens is a gatekeeper, right? huh? Yeah. His last fight was Jeremy Stevens, right? Yes. Uh, pretty, I'll look yeah. it up, man. I mean, pretty sure. Yeah. It. No, it was a uh, zombie, right? Zombie was it the crazy zombie? No, I don't think it was zombie. I think he fought. Let me see. I'll I'll look might... it up. Talk amongst it... yourselves. Yeah. He's just but pretty yeah, good I mean, with his he... with his impersonations, isn't he? He's got a pretty <laughs> Talk wide range. Amongst yourselves, yeah. This was October 18 of 2019. It's over a year now. It's a year. It's that was his last 13 fight. Was months. Jeremy Stevens. Thirteen months. Okay, the zombie fight was before that, huh? The zombie. Yes, didn't I just tell you that? It was no. a year before that. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah, it was a year before that. Dang man, yeah, he's got to get in there. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he had at the Jeremy Stevens fight. He started gassing a little bit in the third round, so he might have some cardio issues as well so i don't know i was gonna say you know the yeah could have had the better maybe gas tank and if he could weather the first two rounds against the beat like, absolutely there's a there's an avenue the calvin there. cater fight yeah calvin cater fight that third round is the beat man actually took him down it just held him there for, actually, for like I, a minute i haven't seen that fight you guys it's like you have told me about it i need to watch it but yeah. but but i've heard i it's on good authority the thing is, is if you have that much of a defeatist attitude, man, you're not going to be a champion, dude. You got to be ready for, you know, like McGregor is not sitting there going, oh, man, it's a great grappler, man. I don't want to fight Khabib. He's like, totally. Give me, get that son of a bitch in the middle of the cage with me. That's the attitude. McGregor was, Michael Bisping, yeah, McGregor was I mean, fearless. He was fearless. He they all are. Who they... Yeah. And he still is. Yeah. He wants to fight him again. Dude, Misha Tate fought Ronda Rousey had her arm broken and said, I want oh, some of that crazy. again. Give me that. Give me that fight again. After having and her she arm gave broken. her a hell of a fight. That's one of my she favorite did. fights of all time. Misha that last Tate, Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate fight was amazing. Straight bat, straight gangster. Oh, she's a and, badass. And again, it's not until you, you enter into the cage with a freak like Amanda Nunes. And I'm saying the most in that, in the most endearing and most, um, I, I I mean the absolute best when I say that about Amanda. Yeah, she's, she's a, freak. a freak like she's, she's an X-Men. She's yeah. a freak. I like mean, John Jones is a freak. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She's like, yeah. yeah, like a John Jones is to the men, the men's division. She is to the women. I mean, and that's how somebody like Cyborg gets absolutely obliterated. A woman who hadn't lost in years <laughs> gets obliterated by this woman who's just so talented. And Valentina Shevchenko, for that matter. Yep. So, net um, whatever secret sauce that she's got and her mental coach, and I'm without having any proof at all. I'm a hundred percent sure 
She got a sports psychologist after that first canceled fight with Valentina Shevchenko. And they got her head in the right place. And man, you know, now she's, she's fighting for her life, for her baby. And you step across the cage from that girl, I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> you do hey, not you have know what? very good odds. <laughs> According to Megan Edison, though, if you don't fight and if you don't step through that cage, you should not have an opinion. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, Megan Anderson, uh, I, I, that's not what she said. That's not no. what she said. No, 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 no. That's, that's not, not what, what she, she said. said. But what and, she said was, we'll, go ahead. We're going to go around the table with this. But to me, um, my stance is is you don't make fun of any fighter. Um, you, you don't make fun of any fighter that steps. If you haven't stepped in that cage, you have nothing to say about the courage of an individual. I'll even go as far as to say everybody on Twitter – I think all of you should that are that are attacking Nate Robinson for getting knocked out by Logan Paul. You know, maybe he didn't uh, exercise a proper training regimen prior to getting in there. Uh, I didn't watch it. I don't care to watch it, but I'll assume that maybe that's what happened. He's he had the ball. That was bad. He had the balls. He stepped in there and he fought. He has my respect forever. Now I don't care what happened in that or how badly he was beaten. He went in there and he fought. And I say that to every UFC fighter, every single one of you, no matter what your record is, you have my respect, and I don't even care what promotion you're in. Will. Oh yeah, I'm gonna agree with you there. They deserve they deserve the respect for for respect. <laughs> you got my respect. You know, me. Um, <laughs> I just remember. God. Just, yeah, you just got to remember Nate Robinson was a NBA, professional NBA basketball player, and he did that for most of his life. And then he's doing this boxing thing, and he's taking a challenge. And I don't know anything about the YouTuber dude. Um, I get the impression, or maybe I have this subtle uh, memory of him, like he does boxing matches. Yes, he's been people, training right? for a couple of years. Yeah, and yeah. obviously, without having seen the fight, Nate probably did not train properly. I don't even no, it care. Was terrible. It I was terrible. I don't even care. He stepped in there and he tried. Yeah. And for that, yeah. he's got my respect. And so I agree with Megan Anderson. If you haven't, you can be, crit, we can be critical. Making fun of somebody, you're an idiot. Can we criticize what a UFC fighter did or any fighter that we watched? Yes. They're performing and we're going to critique the performance, whether it's acting, whether it's a sp- a game, it's a sport. I don't go and yeah. critique street fights. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. But when you get when you start discussing it, people are going to try to be cheeky about it. But um, I agree with you on that, DJ. And uh, <laughs> when you, there's also an element of it of when you're exposing yourself like that from a media standpoint, you got to take the good with the bad. You can't just assume that people aren't going to make fun of you that whole deal no I mean, I, you're getting I, paid I'm for, for it nate. yeah nate, nate doesn't have to defend himself but and i agree with me with megan anderson if you're not if you haven't stepped in the cage don't make fun of any fighter because you are not if you haven't stepped in that ufc cage you're not as bad as those guys are and gals every yeah, single as, last one of them as as a person you shouldn't 
but you have to be realistic and pragmatic about it. If you're in the public eye, it's going to happen. So for her to say that is like saying world peace. That's, that's what I, I was just going to mention that point that you just said, Will. It was just like, this is, this is yeah, any, any type of sort of thing that you do that is entertaining to a wide variety, a large audience, you're going you're gonna to have this scrutiny in front of you. It's going to be potentially negative. So yes, everyone should respect, you know, these fighters going in there and, you know, obviously a lot of people I think don't realize what these people sacrifice, give up, what their bodies go through, you know, the time away from their families or the time away from maybe some potential, you know, uh, other opportunities that they could have done with their lives that they've kind of put on the side to pursue a career like this. Yeah, I mean that that everyone should respect that. But then again, <laughs> MMA fans are just—they're not the—they suck. They're not the best people. Not, they suck. Not all like you know. Yeah, there's some people but that do this for that I, I aren't think the it's, best. I think it's unfair a little bit to put on MMA fans because I heard I'm watching on NBA Twitter people saying that LeBron. You know, never won anything with Kyrie, like trying to call out LeBron, like he's a loser. I mean, that's absurd. So wait, wait, think, wait a minute. People were saying that LeBron needed Kyrie. Yes, yes. And me and another guy were chuckling about it. Another. That's like, that's when you just have to ignore because that's <laughs> just stupidity. My point is, is there? There. That's like uh, saying people saying the Earth is flat. You just ignore them. That's Kyrie. <laughs> They they are they exist right yeah you just got to ignore that it's not worth it's not worth a response yeah. first of all shout out to Jared Dudley was signed by the Lakers and um, so happy that Duds is coming back to the Lakers uh, but well, anyway I don't know yeah I think she just gets a lot of flack for this post because of her past actions as well like she's known to block people on Twitter just for anything even you don't even have to tag her so I think she's just very. I don't know her personally. I don't really, obviously I don't know her personally, but I don't really follow her too much on Twitter, but all the people that I've sort of uh, follow on Twitter, like fans and whatnot on MMA Twitter, like it's like a running joke. Like, Oh, did you get, did you get blocked by Megan Harrison today? It's like, she just, she's all about blocking people for whatever, which I get. I'm down with that. I'm totally down no, with that. Just blocks everybody. You just should like... shape your social media how you want it because it's not a place for yeah and I get higher that. level thinking and information no. exchange. But you you block all these people. You know you're known for this 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 thing right that you that you do and then you make a post saying what she said. So it's just like you, you juxtapose those two things together and people are like, oh gosh, it's just not a association that she has and then boom what when she you, put, just recently posted when you when you sent me that people. quote i was like what is she talking about but after you told me her her, her strategies or she's blocking people left right oh, i'm yeah. down with her I'm, I'm i'm sensitive i'm sensitive to this issue because at my high school people used to meet down at what we called the chain to fight the chain was like uh there was a back entryway to the high school and they put a chain across it so that random people couldn't like drive their car up to the back of the school. It was like sort of a security measure. So a lot of people from my high school would go down there and smoke. 
there would be uh, fights there because once you got on the other side of that chain, technically you were off school property, um, so you could go fight. Sophisticates were flying. Yes, and so the you know kind of like the rules of the road there were you wouldn't if if you were going to go down there and see somebody fight, you did not make fun of anybody who fought unless you can physically beat either one of those guys. You didn't go down there. So I'm very sensitive to now I realize on this show we you know we critique a lot of fighters and sometimes um, we get a little pointed with it. But making fun of or making light of somebody's ability or somebody's performance, like uh, you know, uh, random Marcos. You know, we made fun of we 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 uh, you know we kind of we like we're very we didn't make fun of her. We were very critical of her in cage strategy of what she did against Mackenzie Dern. We're not making fun of her, and I prefaced it by saying this girl is tougher than I'll ever be. Uh, before I made those comments, I just Dead. said it was Dead. a very, very uh, stupid way to approach somebody like Mackenzie Dern. And you really have to think about that when you're getting in there with a jiu-jitsu champion. It would be like going to the floor with, uh, you know, Adolfo Vieira or, or one of these amazing jiu-jitsu practitioners. Like saying, hey, I want to play guard with Brian Ortega, you know. Um, you better be somebody like Khabib if you were going to do something like that. So anyway, so we're not making fun of random Marcos. We're being like, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? Not questioning her of being a person of low uh, intellect as an individual uh, and acknowledging that, she, as I said, she's tougher than I'll ever be, uh, period. Some of the women she's fought in there are extremely tough people. That she's gotten in there with. It takes an oh, enormous yeah. amount of courage. So from, I agree with Megan Anderson. Uh, if you're not going to, if you wouldn't be willing to say it to that person's face uh, or get in the cage with them, then I would suggest not making fun of them. But that's just my morals. So, Unfortunately, I watched a lot of that Nate Robinson YouTuber fight. And it was really terrible to watch, right, Nick? <laughs> it was then, like a mismatch. It was like it taking was... an amateur, like guy who just yeah. learned how to throw two yeah, punches they... against a guy who knew how to bomb I me and take punches. He's trained, yeah. Or yeah, it, yeah, it was like throw, Nate Robinson. Man. It was like Nate Robinson probably had some fights when he was growing up and probably won them because they were just like this wild chaos kind of thing. You know what? I, and I, he I... probably thought that with a little bit of training, he could. He could, he can make it yeah, work. Obviously, he was a really good athlete. You know real what? Good to, that, to be, that, to that's be honest where I've... with you guys, I didn't see it, and I really don't want to break it down. It's really ridiculous. Well, I, I, I wanted to lead into this. Okay. I wanted to lead into this. Is I thought it was a bad strategic decision on Nate Robinson's part to box him. He should have wrestled him because <laughs> he would have beat him if he would have wrestled him. Well, so would, ben, so would Ben Askren, and Jake Paul is Paul, uh, calling out Ben Askren, and I'll probably take Ben Askren in that fight uh, because Ben Askren probably can put together enough boxing to beat Jake Paul and to work his way into the corner and just clinch with them and just punch him. So anyway, uh, let's. we got a couple things to talk about, and we got to get out of here. So we're looking at um, – Let's we have talk more? about. Uh, we have more DJ. Well, let's just. I want to talk about. <laughs> Please, man. 
uh, Dana White saying that he wants to oh, go yeah, yeah. to um, to go to Abu Dhabi and and get and speak with Khabib. And I'm like, Dana, dude, just let it go, man. Like it's over. You know why do you why does Dana White think that he has to go to Abu Dhabi and try to talk Khabib out of something when the guy said, "I promised my family I'm not going to do this." Like, well, what is this about? Well, Khabib said, "I'll talk to you soon, Dana." So, what is that? When did he say that? He said that via Twitter. I didn't see that. That's coming from Khabib. So that's why people are like, "Oh, Khabib might have a another fight coming up." Yeah, so everyone's all all happy. Okay, Will sent me an interview. Will, didn't you send me that interview where you said? I'm farming, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm not... Didn't you send me that? Yeah. Okay, so what is this then? I don't it's know. Dan, that's, that's... I mean, Dan is looking out for his business. You can't blame the guy for that. Khabib is good for UFC business, so he's going to go out there and try to recruit him back. Okay. Can't blame him for that. It's okay. up to Khabib to say no if okay. he doesn't want to. Let me ask you, we'll, we'll go around right now. Will, give it yes or no, does Khabib come back? I'm going to say no. Nick, yes or no, does Khabib come back? Um, if GSP comes back, then yes. Then maybe that. that no, I'm not be... asking you if. I'm saying, <laughs> does Khabib come back? Yes or does no? Does Khabib come back? No. Because GSP's not coming back. No, GSP's so, not coming back. No, because he's too smart. We don't okay. want to see that fight. Anymore. I don't want to see that fight. Yeah. I don't want to see that fight. Who has more credibility, Will? Uh, Khabib or Dana White? I'm going to say that Khabib is more of a man of principle. By a factor yeah. of... <laughs> um, yeah. A lot. X, okay. Yeah. And Nick, who, who has more integrity? Who do you, whose word do you trust more? Khabib or Dana? I mean, Khabib for sure. Okay. So, so that's but he a did wrap. say, "I'll speak to you soon, Dana." So he what? I could, that. yeah. You know what? That's fine. I mean, what I'm are they sure speaking that about tiramisu. He... They're gonna get tiramisu. And they're just gonna <laughs> talk about tiramisu. Oh, you trying to get on Tony's Ferguson's good side? Um, <laughs> all you can eat lifetime I'm tiramisu. Sh- <laughs> I'm sure. I'm I'm sure that uh, I mean it could be he could be doing promotional work. I mean, they could pay Khabib to show up and sign autographs at, at Abu Dhabi. I mean, any oh, number yeah, of things. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't think Khabib's coming back until I hear him say coming back. I don't think he's going to come back. I don't think he's making a ploy for money the way that Henry Cejudo so ham-fistedly and so ridiculous with zero believability at all said that he's retired when we all knew that he wasn't retired. So absurd. Do you, do you think Cejudo comes back? I think he'll come back. Yeah, I mean they'll offer him. He's gonna get. First of all, he's too young, so he's gonna get bored. He's gonna want to come back and fight. He's not Khabib. It's a totally different scenario where Khabib's mother asked him not to fight. That's the reason he's not fighting with Henry. Henry hamfistly said, "Well, I got other things. I've done so much. I'm not gonna. I mean, I don't really need it anymore." Bullshit, you're already sitting there trying to matchmake with Volkanovsky. Of course he wants to come back and get a 145-pound title shot. 
obviously. If he and he didn't, knows he can beat those guys. If he didn't come back to the UFC, what would he be doing? Exactly. There's nothing for him to do. Khabib's got like a million different things he could do. Henry is going to want to get in the spotlight. He's going to do the triple C thing, the ridiculous thing. And he's going to try to get back and capture a fourth belt, which, by the way, he probably can. He probably can beat Volkanovski because he'll out-wrestle him. Because Volkanovski's a good wrestler for a non-wrestler. So he is. He's you know he's good for oh, someone who didn't wrestle. He go, he went to the Connor. He's in the Connor Academy. Exactly. Yeah, of yeah. Better exactly. Than he, he's like the president he's of the even, Connor Academy. It's yeah, like we got killer wrestlers in this academy. Well, for example, but, sh- but like, you can't be a wrestler. No, it's like Jose Aldo thought. <laughs> oh well, you know nobody could take me down, and Volkanovski. No, I I can take you down. So if Jose Aldo thought his his, you know, and I'm you know this is a guy that I met. I like I really like Jose Aldo. So I'm not trying to, I'm just, I think that his camp, it was so misguided, the things that they told him and the way that they trained him and the way that they, they, they formed and mapped out the course of his career, um, the arc of his career, I think they screwed it up and didn't make him as good as they could have. He thought he had impregnable takedown defense. That's the only way that you would say, I'm going to go up to 155 and fight a guy who nobody's even come close to stopping from getting a takedown. So he said that. So then he goes and fights Volkanovski, and Volkanovski got like three takedowns. <laughs> and and smashed him and took his title. So, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's just a little bit absurd. That's all. But but Volkanovski's a good wrestler. He was a rugby player. Is, is what, you know, he was a rugby so he player. He knows how to drive and, and come forward. He's got yeah, that, like... He's, yeah. yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's a good wrestler of the guys who, who you know who haven't wrestled in you know competitively. So anyway, um, so we both agree. We all agree. Khabib's not coming back. Sahudo's um, coming back though. Sahudo's so coming yeah. back. Yeah, it's just a matter. of He time. alluded that he would come back for a lot of money, but I think I think you're right. I think he's gonna get a little stir crazy. He's gonna get that itch to compete again, and he could still compete obviously physically based on his age and probably the wear and tear on his body is not as bad as some of these other guys like Shogun or whoever else like you know Melvin Gallard or somebody like that so now so you want to see another dick move by the UFC now this is coming from there are so many people in the church of the UFC that worship Joseph Benavides I don't I love Joseph Benavides okay I'm a Juicy F. Formiga loyalist, um, and he likes Benavides, but um, yeah. but I'm a Juicy F. I just don't like. Tell the me the story why you don't like Benavides again. Okay, the jujitsu thing. Okay, so the jujitsu thing, and then when he ends up, what was the jujitsu uh, thing? Lo- so he goes down to Brazil. It's where, very disrespectful. Yeah, very disrespectful. You go down to Brazil, where jujitsu was invented. You're fighting a Brazilian guy. You're sitting there. Not only was he talking shit that, oh, I want to go on the was ground with the Formiga, Formiga fight? and all this okay. stuff. He says he tells the announcer to say that he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, which is stupid, and it's very disrespectful <laughs> in Brazil to do something like that. I mean, 
So okay, that's fair. Okay. That he's, a, <laughs> he's like, okay. it's all good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very. I think it's kind of funny. It, it would be like going. It would be like it would be like walking into the Gracie's uh, family compound in Rio, and you've got Henzo there, you got Hicks in there, you got Hoist, you got Halio, you got Hoxon, you got all these guys, and go. Oh, I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Would you say that? No, because you'd probably be like find yourself passed out in the in the in the pig shit out back when you woke up because one of them choked you out. So it's it's not a respectful thing. It would be like going to Korea and saying, "Oh, I'm a black belt in taekwondo because I drink a lot of tea. I'm from England." Something stupid. You or wouldn't do that. Or taekwondo Joe. Yeah, or some. Yeah, some. Joe. Exactly. Some, you like that, Nick? So, you like that? So then, so then you, 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 you. This have, is my dojo. So, so here's the other thing that annoys me. You you have a guy that okay, gets knocked ahead. out by a figurado. Okay. Now I have to listen to every UFC fighter make an excuse why figurado won. Oh, if Joe just had this, or he wasn't at his best, or A, B, C, D. It's like, dude, this guy just won. And all you can do is talk about well, he what went wrong so with Benavides. Like, yeah, well, guess what? He came back again, and then he smashed him again and KO'd him again. And then people pe then people shut up. Oh, it feels <laughs> They're so, like I feel so bad. I feel so bad for Joe. I really do. It's like, dude, what are you? I felt bad about? for Joe. Why? What's, like, did you feel bad for Amiga when he got knocked out by Benavides, or did you say, you know what? I did. I felt Benavides, bad for him before, that, for Amigo. Well, I did because I'm his friend. But generally, people are like that was a great knockout by Benavides. He did it again. He knocked out yet another person. You don't say. Oh, I think man, people. I feel, so nobody, nobody was in the MMA uh, sphere was saying I feel bad for Formiga. That he won all these fights well, there, and then gets knocked. You gotta out. look at the narrative. You gotta look. You gotta look at the narrative. Like Joe almost dude, won the title. He was dude, almost. He's like a Kenny Florian. Okay, it's like yeah. Guys that almost win. And Juicy like, has um, almost won. And Juicy has almost. He won. never fought for a title though. I know, but the, hey, this guy's had like 19 shots at the title, and he's never won. And you feel bad that he never. No, won. I don't. <laughs> I don't feel bad. The better well, guy won. Well, that's fine that you don't feel. I don't I mean, feel bad. Do I? No, do I feel bad for your Rye Faber? Doesn't people go, oh, I feel so bad. Nobody feels bad for Faber. Why do they feel bad for Benavides? Well, Faber wasn't crying about it, or <laughs> like Joe did. Exactly. No, why is there some? I feel bad for Faber. He's had 19 title shots, lost every one of them. Well, nobody, Faber kind of. Nobody says, oh, he's such a, a nice guy. I feel Faber. so bad. How about congratulations, Davison Figueiredo? The one of the poorest guys in the whole Brazilian UFC roster beat a guy. Oh, people... Not only beat him once, after all the excuse making, he whipped his ass again. Well, now people are all about Figueroa, so you know you got that. You, you know, I don't have anything. That's I'm just great. saying I don't worship at the church of Joe Benavides. Now oh. I can actually feel bad. I'm being honest. I know Why you're being honest. Why don't we say honest, that I'm, I'm about be... everybody who loses? You know, here's do the we thing. feel bad for Rockhold? There's something, there's something no, because Rockhold's, okay. Rockhold's a jerk, first of all, so no one cares about him. 
Not a whole lot of people. Look, we'll just say he was that. on Millionaire Matchmaker. He was great. <laughs> and he's a jerk on Millionaire Matchmaker. You All saw right, how douchey he was. But All no, right. Joe, people people like Joe because apparently, I never met the guy, but people say he's a nice guy. So people like okay. nice guys. Me. All right, fine. And I'm going to have to. I'm he's gonna a nice to, guy. I'm going to have to tell Nick that I talked to Juicier and he said, yes, Joe is really and nice. Juicier said he was a nice guy too. So that's your boy. He said he's nice. He did. Second, he's he married to Megan, Megan, Megan Olivia. So people like oh, her, wow. they yeah, associate that, her that's... with Joe. Hubba, so hubba, there's more hubba. eyes on Joe, right? Yeah. That's very superficial to say. I get it. But that kind of goes a, along she with. She is a beautiful woman. That, that and... goes along with like the people that like Joe as well. So he's got yeah. that there as well. And I don't know, he's very honest with his with his um with his losses. Not like Faber really didn't like I'm sure Faber was really sad when he lost to Dominic Cruz and Aldo and everything, but he never really expressed that to the fans. But with Joe, Joe's very open with his losses and he he and then people saw that side of him. So they felt bad. Hence myself, I felt bad. You know, he was almost there for a title. Bad. Right, so, just the way he—he's had way he more explained. opportunities than anybody. So. He did, and he—and he, he's not. I mean, he's—he's he's not taking it for granted, but he definitely showed his side of of sorrow that people saw. And no, people, I, Nick, and you fighters don't like Nick, to. Nick, go ahead. For the love of God, you've made your point, and as I said, Juicia did say. That every time he sees Joe, Joe always comes up and talks to him. So I'll because he's a nice guy. Yeah, I'll give him that. So okay, I I love you, uh, Benavides. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, but what Joe, all that to say? Like Joe that, hater. That's okay though. It's okay to be a Joe hater. No, I'm not. I just don't like when a guy has an amazing performance, and all I'm reading on MMA Twitter is nothing about Davis and Figueredo. It's all and what he accomplished for himself. It's all about I feel so bad for Joe. It's you know like, why? Dude, There's let's 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 you know what? Let's celebrate a guy who just did something amazing. And we are right now. We no, are, we did it. We didn't then. before. I'm we saying then he did. That's what I'm saying. That's that's that was my that, that was my beef. Okay? That's fine, but I think people are celebrating Joe because this is it for him. Like. No, it's not. He's it, not because, getting it because the UFC. Well, he's not getting another title. No, I because I, the UFC is going to try to get him another loss here. When you look at Askar Askarov, I think this is the most dangerous guy at flyweight. Sure. Hey, do but you know like, who we're talking about, Will? This yes. is another Dagestani <clears throat> monster that there that has no cardio issues at all. He goes in there and drives forward. <laughs> For the entire three rounds, and they're sticking Benavidez in there with him, which is basically saying, "Joe, we want you to lose. We want you're gonna, you to lose. You're gonna love watching that fight, DJ. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I because no. that Joe Jitsu is not gonna work. But no, I, I don't know the Joe Jitsu. <laughs> maybe, is not gonna work. maybe, maybe he'll use Taekwondo. No, he's not gonna get the. Uh, he's not gonna get the vaunted uh, uh, Team Alpha Male guillotine on Askarov. I don't think. But although, my, the, although, the by one, the way, there's a lot of people getting guillotines lately, so you never know. That is true. But to f- go back to my point on why people are talking about Joe more than Figueroa. No, just, we're because we've moved on. I know. Well, my last I, it's, point. It's last like point, you last and Megan point. Anderson and your relationship. 
<laughs> she's too tall for you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. She's way too tall for me. I know. And then okay. she'd say the same. But if she was down, I'd be like, hey. Hell yeah. We can maybe work something out. Come on, yeah. man. Joe, like, Negan, he plays they were bass. celebrating He's his really whole, smart. Yeah. They were celebrating his whole career up to that point. Right? The struggles, everything, everything's put, you know, it was just a, hey, we're going to give him some, some spotlight. And then you're probably never going to hear about his spotlight ever again. You know, people still talk about him and be fans of them, but that was it, you know, because they knew, everyone knew. I knew when he lost that second Figueroa fight. Nick, we have that to was let it, it go. Joe. We've moved on to Asker Askarov. I'm just him. saying, though. I'm we just gotta saying. We got to let it go. Another let point and why. We're going to hit, we're going to, and when we go to group therapy next week, we'll cover this topic again. So, What's our runtime at right now, DJ? <laughs> your will, your boring will to tears. He wants to go play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm just trying. I'm it's just trying to hour. defend my boy <laughs> Joe. I got my purple belt and Joe Dungeons and Dragons. It's an hour and thirty six minutes. Will has a D and D tournament to get to, and you're still talking about men. I got like a bowl of cereal that's just waiting for me right now. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm done. Let's get out of here. Uh, I just want to say I really don't like this Asker Askarov. I really don't like this fight for Benavides. Do you? How do you guys feel about this one? I mean, this is one twenty. They're shifting now. There's something. I mean, you got Figueroa, you got uh, Moreno, you had, you mm -hmm. still have Royval, who's still a great fighter, and then you have this Askarov guy. Those are, and then there's a couple other guys that are in the rings too at one twenty five. That look pretty good too. So I think Joe's the the old guard that's just gonna get eaten up by the by these new guys that are coming out and just making this flyweight division really exciting now, which is nice. Instead of you know before it was the DJ, you know the the Demetrius Johnson type of weight class. Now you know now you got a lot of new faces and a lot of exciting fighters. So yeah, I mean this guy's undefeated. He had one draw with of all people with. Uh, with Brandon Moreno, but I'm gonna I'm gonna defend uh, Joseph Benavides here because I think I don't know if this is his last fight or not, but I don't like this fight for Joe. Um, so Nick, who thinks like I I hate the guy or something, now you're gonna find out how wrong I'm you surprised were. Surprise! No, yeah, you now you're gonna now Joe. you're gonna find out how wrong you you were because <laughs> I I I don't think this is I, the guy is a legend. And I really don't like this fight for Benavides. And what they're going to do is the UFC is going to try to build the name of Askar Askarov, who is an amazing talent at flyweight, and build him off of somebody like Joe, who probably is not going to be able to land a knockout punch on him, can't outgrapple him, uh, and definitely can't outwrestle him. And I, I really don't like this fight for for uh benavides and i don't think usc should should do that to him i think he's eh. probably got one or two fights left well i don't know i will disagree and say that hey in joe's mind it's either he still has or he doesn't and it's not like he is an aging fighter like a diego sanchez or a damian maya or an anderson silva or, you know he's not in the in the tier with those guys i mean he still he still has a lot of ability. He's probably not going to be thirty six, dude. Thirty six is ancient at their weight class. Yeah, but I don't that's, see him as a. Old. Yeah, but I don't see him as a Diego Sanchez or 
or I don't think his ability has teared down in in in, in putting him with it has. Well, I, not to the I, point I, where it's I, like uh, Diego Sanchez or like you're making it sound like they're putting him up against like a Diego Sanchez against Kamaru Usman or or Kobe Covington or something. I mean, I think he's probably going to lose, but I mean, I, I think it's a maybe this guy uh, hasn't even hit 30 yet. I mean, at their weight class, I mean, if he was a heavyweight, we'd be saying, yeah, oh, my sure. God, 36, Definitely. he's in his prime. Yeah, but, I mean, there's more longevity in heavyweight for sure. Oh my god, yeah, I I don't like this fight for him, and I don't personally. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it to him. He's this guy's. A, he's another Dagestani guy. Uh, but in flyweight, yeah, it, it, that weight division, it's either you fight for a title and you're in the top of the division, or you shouldn't. Like, you just that, that's it. You know, I mean, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of eyes on flyweight and. Yeah, if there are eyes on it, it's just the top guy. So if he's not going to be a top guy, it's like if he's not a top flyweight, like who's who are they going to put him up against? Like, I don't know. I had I hadn't looked at the at for, the rankings. For it still a be a draw. Point. Yeah, I mean, if it, it, this was like if it was like welterweight or another you know weight class that people have are all about. Then sure, they can make fun fights for Joe. But there's not going to be any fun fights for Joe at flyweight. He, he's he's either going to fight top ranked guys up and comers and and maybe try and beat Figueroa again or he's just gonna lose and just kind of retire yeah and i think that's what's gonna happen if he gets embarrassed in this fight i think he'll start talking retirement so all right we got to retire this podcast tonight um it is uh will's got a D &D tournament to go after he eats his uh granola cereal that seven-hour session with but his, yeah, with his man. Uh, what's what's your name? Your screen name again? I don't know. Anyway, I don't think I've ever played Dungeons and Dragons it's, before. <laughs> it's MMA, BJJ, <laughs> and life. I'm your host, DJ Sam Marco. It's at MMA underscore BJJ. But I'm gonna BJJ house that bowl of cereal. <laughs> underscore. You got? And because I had, because I went extended, and it's not in my contract <laughs> to go extended. I'm having two bowls of cereal. A professor of motor control and learning dr will Wu. thank you and i'm lactose intolerant god bless you uh oh, rice nice. milk and i'm not saying that because you're asian it's because i drink it um not only now but for like the last decade so um i love rice milk <laughs> so um hey, if you can't confront lactose intolerance head on come on man you're nobody you're nobody yeah um dr will you gotta Wu. be a warrior pohada <laughs> Dr. Will, will give us that word again that you used for off-balancing someone. Per, 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 oh, perturbation. Perturbation. Always, in jiu-jitsu, it's, it's, it's about applying perturbations to people. I love it. Perturbation. That's why we have a sports scientist on this show. Cal State Long Beach's own. <laughs> Remember, it's the kind of doctor that doesn't help anybody. That's right. Dr. Will, Wu. According to moms. <laughs> And Court Megan Anderson, <laughs> Megan, if you're out there, we have for you a heavy metal bass player, a man who makes Steve Harris look ordinary, I guess. Nicholas Cazono. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's a sociologist. He finna be a nurse. He's a healthcare hero in my book. How you like that? So, <laughs> right. <laughs> one love. <laughs> so. Thank you very much, guys. Um, Will, go find that bowl of cereal. <laughs> Nick, 
Perhaps there's a vegan waffle waiting for you in the freezer somewhere. <laughs> and next week it could be the LeBron James week. So make oh my sure. god, don't yeah, guys get ready. Oh Everybody get ready. I just I just had a it hot could flash. Be. It, just, it could be. The DJ's back pocket. He's just saving it. He's saving it for for a special time, like maybe New Year's oh Eve or something. Oh my god, let me let me email Rod Palenka see if Rod I can James. get if I can get LeBron James. For Nick Cazono and Dr. Will Wu, this is DJ San Marcos saying Peace out, one love, and we'll see you down the road. Funkorama!